Well, understanding who we are impacts how we live. Followers of Jesus throughout history have discovered that they have this double identity. They are called out and sent in. But called out of what? And sent in where? Well, the book of 1 Peter answers those questions head on. And it's written to this scattered and persecuted group of Jesus followers. And Peter addresses what it means to have this living hope in the midst of opposition and darkness and suffering. Church, does it ever feel like your present experience of trials and suffering is beginning to define your life? I I know it can feel that way for me. Peter describes a living hope given to followers of Jesus through the resurrection of Jesus. And it's so sure and so vibrant that it recolors all of life, including the trials and the suffering that we face. I want you to consider for a moment that you are displaced. You had to leave your home because people were opposing you for your faith in Jesus. You actually had to get up and move. You don't know how you're going to make ends meet. You still have the daily responsibilities of caring for your family, of educating your kids, of working to put food on the table and clothes on the back of of those that you love. You still enjoy a, a good joke and a nice meal with friends. You, you enjoy the security that comes from money in the bank and a stable job. You dream about the future, but your present experience is beginning to color everything. It's beginning to define your life. Maybe that describes you. Not that you're displaced physically, though you might be, but maybe you're scattered displaced in your head and heart this morning. Walking through a trial that you can't shake. All of us are walking through some kind of version of a trial in the midst of this season that we're all facing. But maybe you are facing an opposition and a darkness, a suffering that's heavy. Well, this letter is for you. First Peter is for you. And I want you to ask yourself this. What do I find beautiful and encouraging in this letter? I want you to ask yourself that because it's both. It's beautiful and it's encouraging. Let's, let's read 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, in Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this 
You rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. And we'll pause there. Three things I I pray we see here this morning. One, the beauty of who you are. Two, the wonder of what God has done. And three, the privilege of what you have. Number one, the beauty of who you are. Peter is writing to followers of Jesus scattered throughout the Roman province of Asia Minor. This is modern-day Turkey. Peter knows the situation that they find themselves in, and he reaches back into the story of Israel using language that his present audience would have immediately connected to the story of Israel. When I asked you to imagine being displaced, he's writing to a displaced people persecuted because of their faith in Jesus. They're spread out across Asia Minor. But he he pulls back and he looks back into the story of Israel and pulls out language that he finds in that story, in the history of Israel, and he connects it to them. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. That's how he begins this letter. Elect. It means chosen. It's a term used to bring comfort to those who have faith in Jesus. It's a term that described Israel, the nation of Israel, elect and chosen of God. This isn't cold and personal fatalism on God's part. This is love. This is pursuit. This is a way to tell those to whom Peter writes that they might be scattered, they might be sojourners in a foreign land, but they are known and they are loved and they have purpose. None of this is outside of God's notice and control. And one word is all it takes, just one word. One word that brings assurance and that cuts through the craze and the mess of the circumstances that these people were swimming in. One word, elect. You're chosen. It would have immediately brought to mind God's steadfast love to Israel. I imagine them smiling as they hear it read out loud. People like you and me going through messy stuff. Chosen of God. He loves me. He's pursued me. 
it would have brought a smile to their face. Elect exiles. He knows they're exiles. Exiles of the dispersion. This is terminology used to describe the Jews after their exile into foreign land, be it Assyria or Babylon. And now he's using it to describe the church made up of Jews and Gentiles, non-Jews, scattered about. These are sojourners. These are pilgrims. These are foreigners. Those who belong to another kingdom. Their citizenship is elsewhere. You know, the same is true of, of you and I, for those who are in Christ Jesus. We, we have a sort of dual citizenship, don't we? Citizens here of this nation, which we pray for and we love, but citizens of another kingdom, citizens of the kingdom of God. All of this, he says, is in accordance or according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, And this is so much deeper than simply advanced knowledge that God the Father knew in advance what was going to happen to you. It goes deeper than that. You are chosen by the Father. That's what he's getting at. And he has set his affection on you. That's where he's going with this. All of this, he says, is in the sanctification of the Spirit. In other words, you are set apart by the Spirit. Yes, initially, you're set apart by the Spirit for salvation, but also gradually you are set apart, being set apart. You're growing in holiness. You're growing in what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He's putting his finger on areas of your life. He is the Holy Spirit, and he's interested in in our holiness, walking in obedience to the Lord Jesus, which is where he goes next. All of this is for obedience to Jesus Christ. You are to live a life of an attentive submission to Jesus the King and for the sprinkling with his blood. Now, what's that about? This is about being cleansed by the sacrifice of Jesus. The language sprinkling, it's rooted in Exodus 24, where Israel stood before Moses and they promised obedience to Yahweh, to God. It was a covenant that was sealed by the sprinkling of blood of sacrifice on the altar and even on the people who were standing there. Peter's pulling this language from old covenant, reminding them of this new covenant through Christ Jesus and his blood. He's telling them, you're set apart. You're chosen. You're you're loved. You have purpose. You have value. You belong. Peter is saying, listen, do you know who you are? Do you remember? Yes, you might be citizens of Galatia or Asia or St. Pete, but don't forget that you are first and foremost citizens of God's kingdom and that you belong to him. And his kingdom will, will be unveiled in all of its splendor in due time. It's an already not yet kingdom. Don't forget who you really are. Don't forget who you belong to. Understanding who you are will impact how you live. Understanding who you are will impact how you live. If you move away from who you are, if you forget or dismiss it, if you ignore it, your life will be defined by something else. Be it trials, 
be it suffering, be it something else. We will search endlessly to find our identity in our career, in a person, being accepted by others. But Peter is, is helping the church that he loves, that's under a lot of opposition and persecution. He's, he's bringing them where they need to be brought. They need to see who they are. Elect, chosen, loved, exiles, scattered. He sees, he knows. He's at work. And it's a Trinitarian work. The Father, the Spirit, the Son, God's involved in this. You belong to him. So much of the Christian life, local, local, so much of the Christian life, so much of our walk with the Lord involves remembering who we are. If I was to begin anywhere with a, a new Christian, it would, it would be uh, to take them by the hand and show them who they are in Christ Jesus. What it means that their sins are forgiven and that they are welcomed now as children, adopted into a new family. Now that's where I would begin because there is so much condemnation that can come at us. And in our times of weakness and in the midst of trials and suffering, we can fall prey to all these lies that come at us in our heads, in our hearts. And so we too need to be reminded of who we are in Christ Jesus and what it means for our lives now and forever. We never want to move away from that. Do you know who you are? That's what Peter's saying. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget the beauty of who you are. Live in the good of it. It's an identity rooted in what God has done. Well, what has God done? That's number two. The wonder of what God has done. Peter, he launches into a moment of praise in verse three. He can't help himself. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, this is his motive. You want to know the motive behind what God has done? It's according to his great mercy, his compassion. He has caused us. He has caused us. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is how. And so Peter dives deep into the wonder of what God has accomplished according to his great mercy. He's caused us to be born again, made new, new creations in Christ Jesus. This is what Jesus talked to Nicodemus, the religious leader, in John chapter 3 about. You must be born again, born of the Spirit. Nicodemus is scratching his head, well, what do you mean, born again? How can a, a man be born a second time? That's weird, gross, what, what? And Jesus explains, this is a spiritual birth, a new birth. You must be born again. This is something the Father does. He brings this new birth, new life, and a living hope, a certainty, a confident expectation that begins to infiltrate all of life and that's going to color everything, everything. And this comes through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Well, sometimes we might think, oh man, the resurrection of Jesus, we celebrate it, especially on Easter. Uh, it's very appropriate that we do that. And we think about what it means for our lives in Christ that because of the resurrection, uh, that we find life, right? We find 
forgiveness of sins, the sacrifice of Christ has been accepted and it accomplished what it set out to accomplish. The resurrection proves that. But the resurrection is also a pledge and a guarantee of what's to come. And there's more coming our way, which we'll learn about next week. There's more grace for us that's coming. And we should have this eager expectation and longing, fixing our eyes on that. But the resurrection of Jesus produces living hope. Living hope. Living hope is defined here by Peter as inheritance. Isn't that interesting? An inheritance shows that you belong somewhere. We hear uh, the scattered group of, of people, this, these churches that are scattered and displaced. Well, displaced people usually don't have an inheritance anywhere. But Peter writes, no, no, no. This inheritance that's given because of the resurrection, this living hope, which is your inheritance, this inheritance is imperishable. This is how he describes it. It's imperishable, which means it's incorruptible. It's undefiled, it's unfading, and it's kept. I love this. It's guarded in heaven for you. How about that? How do you think about that? One day the curtain will be drawn back. You and I will see what's kept for us. There's more in store. There's an inheritance Nothing can touch it, not the hostility around you or the fear within you. As sure as Jesus is alive, that's how sure you can be about this inheritance. And it's because of the resurrection. It's the fruit of the resurrection. It's what was produced because of the resurrection. The resurrection is a guarantee It is a pledge of what's to come. Verse 5 talks about being shielded or guarded by God's power. Look, Look with me. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now hold up. You might wonder if I thought I was saved. This is a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The New Testament authors understood salvation as something that, yes, it took place in real time, uh, right, you know, at a point in time, we are justified, declared righteous in God's eyes through the finished work of Jesus on the cross, and we are saved. But we are being saved, and we will be saved. It's a, not, salvation happens, there's a point in time where I am justified, I'm declared right. But God is at work, and he talks about this this salvation ready to be revealed. What is that? Jesus revealed in all his splendor and glory, breaking in, breaking in. Now, we've experienced pieces of that, haven't we? We've experienced pieces of this beauty and splendor of who Christ is, but one day we'll experience it in all of its fullness. Again, it's this already not yet experience of Christ and his glory. You are being shielded. You are being guarded by God's power, Peter says. It doesn't get greater than that. Your faith right till the end is being guarded and sustained by God's power. How encouraging is that? 
For those who feel like, my goodness, I got nothing. I feel like, I feel like you, you, know, you, might, you might relate to this, but I wonder how those who were under this heavy opposition and persecution felt. Did they feel forgotten by God? Here, Peter is reminding them that God is actually guarding what's most important, and that's their faith. I don't know if you saw the headlines, but uh, I, a few weeks ago, maybe it's been months now, there was a headline, Florida man pulls puppy from jaws of alligator. Do you see this? There was this camera set up by some wildlife association just monitoring nature, watching animals. And here's this little puppy walking alongside a, a lake, and this gator shoots out like a missile and snags this little puppy and brings him into the water. Well, this old man with cigarette in his mouth, he's watching this happen, and he's like, no, this, this isn't the end of the story. He goes into the water, reaches down, find, you can watch this online. Not now, please stay with me. Uh, reaches down into the water, grabs the gator, opens up his mouth, and, and frees the little puppy. Uh, then the gator clamps down on his hands, and then he opens up <laughs> the gator's mouth, and the puppy's free. The puppy's fine. A couple puncture wounds. The man's hands are more messed up than the puppy. Never lost a cigarette either. The guy's a hero. I love that story. Why did I tell that story? I just like the story. It just brings, it brings to mind when I think about God's grace and power and his protecting us and his shielding us and guarding us, I can think a lot, like we're like that puppy. And oftentimes we feel like we're under the jaws of, of, of such opposition and, and, and trial. And, and here, God has just released us from, from those jaws. He's guarding us. He's protecting us. He's not going to let the jaws of, of our trials and suffering win. You have a living hope no matter what comes your way. You have a living hope no matter what comes your way. It's as if Peter was saying, listen, I know the situation can feel hopeless at times. Some of you will face death. Some of you will face death itself for the sake of Jesus. But listen, it will not change what is true. It will not change what is true of, of, of what God has accomplished through Christ for you and what he has for you. It does not change change that. It can't touch it, even death itself. In verse 6, he talks about in this, in what? In, in this hope, you rejoice. The idea is this exceeding joy. This is your present experience now, is what Peter is saying. It colors everything, and even your trials and, and your suffering. What colors everything? the living hope that you have through the resurrection of Jesus, this hope that you have, not a wishful thinking, but a joyful expectation of what will be and what is, holding on and breathing life into your present circumstance, it recolors everything. It doesn't dismiss your trial. It doesn't ignore your suffering. It doesn't mean that all that isn't painful, what you're going through. No, no. You can have joy, though, exceeding joy, 
not because you enjoy persecution or deny the reality of pain and suffering that you're experiencing, but here's why. Because living hope points beyond our trials. It brings perspective. Look look what he says in verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, all kinds of trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter is bringing his readers perspective. And we're given perspective here. If now for a little while, he says, you must endure and go through these various trials. We know these trials are for a little while. But I can tell you, it is hard to see beyond the pain of trial. It is. And when you're sick, physically sick, we could illustrate it this way. When you're physically sick, which I, I know what that feels like here over the last couple of weeks, it can feel like it's never going to lift. When you're physically sick or when you've thrown your back out, I also know what that feels like over the last couple of weeks. And it feels like the pain is never going to lift. And then it does. It's gone. And for a few days, all of a sudden, the stuff that you didn't care much about before is such a blessing. Someone asked me, oh, how you doing, Darren? I heard you threw your back out. I told him, I can sweep. That's what I told him. I thought that's so weird that that's the thing I'm telling him. But I I remember I, I was sweeping out the garage, and it didn't hurt. But when you're in the midst of it, it never feels like it's going to lift. And so that, that's a little illustration of even what? Just greater trials. It just feels like, man, is this ever going to lift? This suffering, this darkness. I can't see beyond it right now. But Peter is saying, oh, listen, this is just for a little while. And even, even if our trial brings us, I'm talking, I'm talking down the path of life for years Let's say the trial lasts our entire life. It's still, when you think about eternity, a little while, just a slice. Living hope points beyond our trials. But also, living hope reminds us that our trials are never wasted. Never. Peter talks about the tested genuineness of your faith. If you read the Old Testament again and again and again, from Jacob to Abraham, to to whomever, Moses, all of them, all of these great men and women of faith experienced a testing of their faith. All of them. We can't always understand why things happen the way they do, but we can be certain, we can be certain that they are never wasted. The trials that we go through, the suffering that we endure, The opposition and the persecution for our faith in Jesus, never wasted. Never. Turn with me to Matthew. Let's hear Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. On my account, 
Blessed are you, Jesus said. Rejoice and be glad for your reward, inheritance. Your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Hmm. Let's not forget this. Go with me now to James. So Jesus was talking about persecution for his namesake, which I believe the church that Peter was writing to was primarily struggling with that. James talks about, in James 1, verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, whatever they are. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness, this perseverance, a patience, a patient waiting on God. And then turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Paul, he writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, declared right, in other words, we have peace with God. We've been reconciled to, to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There's this perspective given in the New Testament on trials of all kinds. It's never wasted. These trials are never wasted. And Peter uses in verse 7, back in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, he uses the testing of gold to illustrate the testing of faith. When genuine gold goes through a refining fire, other elements that, that look like gold are burned up and removed as waste. And so trials, they keep us trusting. Trials keep us looking to him. They burn away the self-confidence, right? This trial, this opposition, Peter is saying, will not reduce you to ashes. No, actually, at the end, when all this is wrapped up by Jesus, your faith, which is more precious than gold, will be to the praise, honor, and glory of God. A beautiful trophy of his grace on display. You don't see Jesus, he writes, but you love him. You don't see him, but you rejoice in him with inexpressible joy. A joy that can't be put into words. A joy that's hard to explain. A joy that's rooted in something beyond all this. Beyond the trials. Beyond the pain. Beyond the grief. And it's filled. It's filled with glory. It's filled with honor and praise. Because you're receiving the outcome of your faith. The salvation. The deliverance. The rescue of your very self. Your soul. Finally, he points them to the privilege of what they have, the privilege of what you have. Concerning this salvation in verse 10, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. You know, the Old Testament prophets searched and inquired the when, the how, exactly, the spirit of Christ 
in them was indicating that all this would happen. They had a glimpse of God's divine rescue plan. But when and how would God rescue the world through the sufferings of his chosen one, through the sufferings of his Messiah? Peter says that they were serving you. Peter's writing to the New Testament church. This is hard to grasp, the privilege that we're about to hear. The Old Testament prophets were serving you, local. These things have been announced to you. Through those who preach the gospel, the good news of Christ, to you. What you've received is the long-anticipated promise of salvation. You are a privileged people, Peter writes. We are a privileged people. Do not forget what we have and don't forget how we received it. Angels are longing to understand fully what's been accomplished through this. What do you find beautiful? What do you find encouraging in the first few verses here of 1 Peter 1? Do you see the living hope that you have in Christ rooted in his resurrection? It's yours. It's yours. If you have faith in Jesus, this living hope is yours. Does it feel like your present experience of trials and suffering is defining your life? It might. Will you allow the beauty of who you are, the wonder of what God has done and the privilege of what you have to recolor your life? even the trials and the suffering that you face? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your great mercy that has caused us to be born again. Thank you for the living hope that we have through the resurrection of your son Jesus and inheritance an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and kept in heaven for us. Would you help us, Lord? Each one of us are facing trials or suffering right now. And Lord, if we're not, then we will. And these trials and suffering could very easily begin to define our life. Lord, would you instead help us to see who we are in Christ? and the wonder of what you've done, and the privilege of what we have received. And help us to hold on to those things, to be greatly encouraged, to respond with humble praise. In Jesus' name, amen. It's such an encouraging text, and I don't know about uh, you, church, but I, I feel like I'm, I can stand a little taller uh, like a little straighter. I have uh, just this, uh, such an encouragement, um, just soaking in this word and, and hearing this, this word preached. Um, I'm going to uh, read uh, again verse 6 and 7, um, and just really it's my prayer for you, church, um, that you will rejoice in this hope that, you've been, that you have been given, um, rejoice in this new identity that you have, um, and rejoice in these trials. Um, let me read this in, in 6. Though now for a short time you have had to be distressed by various trials, 
we, we all know what that's like, especially now. So that the genuineness of your faith, more valuable than gold, which perishes through refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. My prayer is that as you are sent out into this upcoming week, that this would be a result that you would have praise, glory, and honor. Thank you.